Welcome to Digital AF. My name is April and today I want to chat about planning and what digital marketing actually costs. It's that time of year when everyone starts to review their numbers, tidy up loose ends and get ready for the new financial year. This includes reviewing goals, what's happened over the past 12 months and what they want to achieve moving forward. Digital AF, the digital marketing podcast that features real conversations from those who live and breathe the digital agency life. April Ford Digital Agency shares their tips, tricks and exposes the truth about what works and what doesn't. Welcome to Digital AF. Let's get into it. In this week's episode, I speak to Brendan. G'day, everyone. About planning for the new financial year, as well as reviewing costs of services so you can plan your marketing budget over the next 12 months. The beauty of working in an established business is that you have an idea as to the flow of your business and industry. This is immensely helpful when trying to determine revenue goals and forecast the investment required to facilitate future growth. So Brendan, as the numbers man, when planning, what's the first thing you should do? You got to try and figure out what you want to achieve moving forward. Yeah. And that's usually based off historical performance. How would you do that? I know for a couple of clients, we talk in months. Yeah. So most clients that I work with, particularly in the early stages when they're like being onboarded or when we're in the first like strategy session, we work through like a 12 month budget. Some clients can only think a couple of months in, in advance, but the reality is, you, you know, just like a financial budget, because a marketing budget is part of your financial budget, right? Yes. You should have like a plan for the next 12 months. So, you know, we're in obviously just coming towards the end of the financial year. So that's a perfect time to be talking about it. So, if you think of a 12-month calendar, it's a bit like a cash flow forecast. You know your revenue is going to go up and down throughout the year. Very rarely is it the same every single month. But funnily enough, most marketing budgets are allocated the same with every month. Yes, so they definitely are. It, it's, it's quite amusing when you see someone who's just allocated, say, 50 grand a month every month for 12 months. And it's like, well, hang on. You might do 2 million bucks one month. You might do 200 grand the next. You might do 10 million the next. So what we do to provide some consistency, the best place to start is to allocate a percentage of revenue on marketing spend. So advertising is one component, marketing costs are another, et cetera. So that'll vary obviously depending on the industry. You know, in some industries where the more competitive the industry, the higher percentage of revenue you will have to spend on advertising and marketing. Okay. And the reason being is because you actually have to outspend your competitors. So if we take e-commerce, for example, there's businesses in e-commerce or brands within e-commerce or sectors or niches within e-commerce where they're spending 30 to 40% of their revenue on advertising. Wow. Yeah, scary. And let's face it, there's a point where it's viable and it's not. So there's a lot of businesses in e-com that just don't make any money. You know, you've only got to look at a lot of brands you might see that have super expensive brand ambassadors, for example, or there's a lot of, say, bedding slash mattress companies Mm -hmm. where they will spend 30 or 40% of their revenue on advertising and they don't actually make a profit because all they're after is market share at that point in time. Yes. So, Or they might make a profit at certain points inside of the year, but they've still got to maintain position throughout the year as well. Exactly right. So, you know, in some industries, let's take, you know, buying mattresses online and, you know, there's a whole bunch of brands named after, you know, different animals. I won't name names, but ultimately they spend a bucket load because they have to and the margins are tight, right? So 
I'm not expecting every e-com business to go and spend 30 to 40% of their revenue on advertising because they'd just go broke if they did because they might not be raising capital like other companies are. But let's take the average Joe privately owned company that hasn't raised capital. They might find that in e-commerce, the most they can spend is 15 or 20% of their rev on marketing. So in other words, if they're spending 20% of their revenue on advertising, for example, they're expecting to get a five times return. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So with regards to planning, do you think about like when you are looking at the previous 12 months, do you compare it to major events that have happened like in a calendar? So we'll continue to use e-commerce as an example, but you've got major sale periods, which impacts revenue, but it will also impact your costs. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's the beauty about picking a percentage of revenue. And when I say picking, you've got to establish what is a reasonable percentage of revenue to be investing in advertising and marketing. And the way that you do that is you've got to speak to agencies because it's the only way to really get a baseline unless you've been fortunate enough to look at the books of a bunch of other companies like yourselves. And agencies that understand business as well. Yeah, like, I mean, agencies that have been around for a while, i.e. more than a few years and have been around the block as in they've been in business for an extended period of time. And when I say extended, I don't mean two years over COVID. I mean like 10, 15, 20 years. They'll be able to confidently with authority say, in your industry, you need to spend X. So like I know, for example, in, you know, whether it be medical devices, whether it be financial planning, whether it be law, whether it be, you know, a niche area of law, I can tell you with confidence, you need to allocate X percentage of your revenue in advertising, even down to like food. And I guess what you'll often find is really good operators will actually know their percentages of operating costs. Absolutely. If you talk to a hospo person, like a restaurateur, he'll be really clear about what his wages to revenue have got to be. Like they've got to be at 24% or they've got to be at 26.5% or whatever it might be. Same with food costs. Yep. So it's about having clarity over what you've got to spend of a percentage of revenue. So when you're going back to your question about time, peak period, peak selling periods, well, those months are obviously higher in revenue anyways. So the percentage would ultimately go up with that. And you might go, well, look, we're trying to grow. So therefore we're actually going to not budget 5%. We're going to budget 7%. So we're going to put a couple of extra percent of our revenue into marketing. Yep. And so typically when I'm working with a client, we'll go, okay, look, as riveting as it might be and as boring as it is for them, we go through a spreadsheet and it's literally like, okay, guys, what's the viable figure in your business based on your cash flow forecast, which they may or may not have, to go, okay, right, this is the line in the sand about A, what you have been spending, because you've got to look at historically, what have you actually allocated? Some have been lucky enough where they haven't been spending that much. Others have been spending too much and there's been wastage and poor management. So where we start is to look at historical and that's just looking at what were your sales month by month and what did you spend in your advertising and marketing? And then that'll give us a percentage. And then we go, okay, well, right, moving forward, intentionally, what do we want to spend? Yeah. So that's like the next step. Like, what are you wanting to achieve this financial year or like what, and whether that's like a percentage of growth or the other side of it, which impacts budgets is you may have a new category that you're opening up as well. So you might have a new category that you're selling to or a new market that you're selling to as well. So you have to build momentum with the marketing there. So your return might not be as instant as if you put it into something that is a known quantity. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about like a lot of people think in, in, of return as an instantaneous thing, but the reality it's not like particularly the bigger the business, the slower it will, it's like a ship, the slower it is to turn around. Yeah. 
or slow down or pick up speed. Yeah. So ultimately the idea of if I spent X now and but I also think that with new business too, because well, you know, a new business doesn't have brand awareness, right? So correct. a business that's already got brand awareness will be able to scale up and down their marketing much more quickly with great efficacy. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who's brand new, who no one knows about, they're going to really struggle. And, and let's face it, we might actually talk about exactly what a new business might do, but let's stick with the older, let's stick with an established business for the time being. So you mentioned about breaking into new categories. It could also be simply increasing a percentage of of the of a different type of work that you want to do or a product that you want to sell. And that might be a strategic decision around margin. So for example, you know, it could be a cosmetic injectables company who does far too many consults, doesn't convert enough and doesn't do enough actual injecting, doesn't sell enough filler and Botox. And therefore they're not actually making much money because all they're doing is consults and they never actually rebook someone. So rather than trying to go into patient acquisition or client acquisition in that case, the marketing spend might be geared towards retention yep. because they're focused on trying to sell a service that they make more margin out of. So it's not always based around revenue. So when we actually sit down and talk to a client about what are they trying to achieve to answer your question, some are measuring their success based on revenue. Others are measuring their success based on margin, like gross profit margin. Mm-hmm. Others are just wanting to maximise their bottom line. And so a lot of the time they think, oh, to maximise my bottom line, it's all about just cutting costs as opposed to being more intelligent with doing or selling more services or products that actually have higher margin than lower margin. But that's a business conversation. And going back to what we've talked about previously, you're just using marketing to fix it. Yeah. And then, so you've obviously you've got marketing budgets, but there's also other investments that businesses need to make when they are looking at opening new spaces and expanding into markets, things like that. So things like additional space, if you're a retail or a professional service can be an additional cost. Do you lump that into the marketing budget? Yeah, well, I mean, the marketing budget's like the dump file <laughs> on a computer where everyone pops everything into. The first thing we need to think about is if you've got this marketing budget that you've created and you've you've plotted your monthly sales for 12 months, so say it's financial year 23 coming up, we're going to go, okay, right, well, we know what we're forecasting to try and do in sales every month. We've decided on we're going to allocate 12.5% in of revenue and advertising spend. And that's literally a calculation that we put in the spreadsheet. So it tells us the amount of money we've got to spend. Yes. Then we start to think about, okay, well, what are we doing inside of that 12 months? So let's say we're opening new stores. Now we've got clients who are, you know, opening multiple stores every month from allied health and, and medical devices through to furniture, through to all sorts of different industries. Now, every time they open a new store, we've got to allocate, okay, how much are we spending to launch that store? Is the signage cost going into the marketing budget or is that an extraordinary cost? So you start to actually build out a launch budget or a startup budget for each new location or store or going back to what you said before, it might even be about a service. So all of a sudden you might be introducing a brand new service that you've never done before and you want to start generating traffic for it. Well, okay, we've got to allocate funds to that that might not necessarily mean that you stick to your 12.5% because you've actually brought something new into the mix. So when you're doing this 12-month exercise, it forces people to actually think about what are they going to do business-wise during that year because you need to talk about that stuff. You can't be oblivious to it. Get halfway through the year, have spent all your money because you decided to do some wild launch for your latest store and get every influencer under the sun to talk about it and then no, have no money left for the rest of the year. Like a or stock for people to buy. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Well, it's amazing what people will spend their money on and I'm not there to manage someone's money on there to manage their marketing but if they can't afford to pay the bills then there's a problem and also like I I suppose we take a global view of marketing where it's like okay so we're going to allocate xyz to advertising but what else are you doing 
because everything you do impacts the results of the advertising. If, for example, you're like, you say you're going to open up this new category and we do marketing for it, we do, we drive traffic to a website, but you actually don't have any stock available and then they don't convert because it's a 12 to 14 week wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a waste of money. Well, who's, you know, that's not an advertising problem. Business problem. That's a business problem. And I think one of the things that people probably don't often consider is that you can pair things up and down. So there's nothing wrong. Like that's the beauty about having a really good relationship with the with an agency that understands your business. Like if they don't really, really understand business and in particular your business, then it's difficult to have these sorts of conversations because an agency will flip out if a client calls and says, oh, I need to cut this back by X, Y, Z. And it's like, oh my God, the world's imploding. But the reality is it's just they might be out of stock yeah. or they might be booked out. So you need to be able to have a really open dialogue with your agency to be able to say, okay, look, you know, we need to scale up, we need to scale down, whatever it might be. You know, it could be delay in shipping and all of a sudden you can't get product. 100%. There's a million business decisions that impact advertising and marketing. And when everything's considered and there is that open dialogue about future planning, that's when it works really, really well. And, you know, we can make suggestions and recommendations on budgets and ideas based on the conversations that we're having. So the more information and constructive information that we're given, we can provide recommendations based on the challenges that businesses are facing today. Because let's face it, we're all facing challenges You know, there's people who are, you know, have recruitment challenges, people that have stock challenges, people, you know, people that have apparently lettuce challenges at the moment, you know, so all of those things, that information is really important and also should be considered when we are future planning with clients. I mean, every client that I'm meeting with at the moment, I'm asking them a series of questions depending on their industry. You know, for example. Is lettuce in that? Yeah, it is actually. So with (laughs) food clients, it's like, okay, like what are we doing about cost of goods? And what do I need to be mindful of? And it's like, well, why is the agency asking about that? And the reason I ask about that is because I want to know in three months' time, have you guys got to redo your menu pricing? And therefore, do I need to actually position this business in a slightly better shape than what I did previously because they are going to have to charge three bucks extra for a burger? Or am I going to have to think about changing an entire marketing strategy because, you know, there's a microchip shortage because we're in like the world of shortage, like there's a shortage of everything. Everything's run out apparently. Yep. Everyone bought too much stuff. <laughs> Where did it go? Yeah. <laughs> I get to my dad's storage shed actually. <laughs> so ultimately you're, I'm asking questions about, you know, is a microchip shortage going to impact you guys? Um, which, which we've got multiple clients where it we is. We do, yeah. You know, we've got multiple clients who sell products that are like from huge manufacturers who are like, you know what, we're going to have to take Bluetooth connectivity out of that device. Yep. It's a life-saving medical device that people yeah, require. It's pretty scary. It's wild. So asking things about, you know, lettuce, <laughs> microchips, uh, fuel. Factories shutting down. Labor, all these sorts of things. But I want to know that because if I've come up with this strategy on how we're going to grow this business over the next 12 months and I haven't asked those questions and planned for it, I'm going to look like a numpty <laughs> if we've blown all this money and then all of a sudden they've got no product to sell. 100%. Or no one to make the product or no one to ship the product. So, yeah, you've got to, there's a, when we're doing that 12-month planning exercise, we're actually looking at all those different things. And it's not necessarily because we're suggesting they need to do something. It's just bringing it to their attention so that the strategy or decisions that we make or recommendations we provide are based on the most accurate forecast we can And I mean, we're get. having those conversations all through the year too. Like it's not a once-off, one-hit wonder. It's a, we like to be across the problems that our clients are facing so we can be with them when they need 
some help making decisions or they need to turn to us and go, I've got to make this change. This is what I'm thinking. What do you think? So it's really important that not only do you use this time of year to review what's happened over the last 12 months and how do we facilitate growth or stability over the next 12 months, but also just having that open chat dialogue, business to business conversation where it's like, I'm facing this. I don't know where to start with fixing that problem or it's really going to impact, you know, the shortage of lettuce is really going to impact the cost of my burgers. What should we do? You know, just having that chat because we can apply marketing solutions through to business problems. And that's essentially what we do all day, every day. Give the millennials kimchi on their burgers. <laughs> so for those who are trying to plan out their marketing budgets, let's run through some standard costs that we have at April Ford. We'll start with our ongoing service management, which I think you could even say that they're kind of like a, they're like a fixed fee management cost. Well, when you look at your marketing costs, you've kind of got two parts, right? You've got advertising spend Mm -hmm. and that's something that you can have again, like you've got an advertising spend and and this comes, we can talk about expectations in a minute, but an advertising spend is based around what you're trying to generate in sales. So there's one component there. Then you've got marketing costs. So that might be the labor component for an agency to actually deliver the work. So graphic design, web development, you know, web updates, you know, social media management, ad management, all those sorts of things. Yep. And they're sort of ongoing costs because they're directly tied to activities or, you know, I call them programs when I talk with clients. And they can be variable too. You know, one month it can be they can go up 10 down. times the amount because it's relevant to, you know, a percentage of your turnover. Yep. But then you've got costs which are the same every month. Yeah. And, and typically what businesses like to do is be able to control their costs. 100%. So what we do is provide people a clear understanding around what they need to allocate, both in terms of advertising spend, but then also what the management costs are going to be to deliver that and then what the associated marketing costs are going to be as well, whether it be, you know, email marketing through like Clavio Flows or whatever. And then so you've got like those planned monthly recurring costs that can be paired up and down, but ultimately you, you've got with, you've got a fair amount of confidence as to what they'll be. In my previous life as a marketing manager, you know, I would have a monthly budget and it was relevant to sales that the business generated that month. Yep. So I had to control my costs and I had to control, I had to know what I was spending And the easiest way for me to do that was to have these recurring costs that I knew exactly what I was spending every month. It's actually why our agency is built that way today. So you know what that invoice is going to look like every month. There's no surprise there unless you have gone out and you've done things like a new website. And that's not even a surprise, but you have forward planned that cost. Yeah, there's no surprise invoices. Correct. So if you think about those, they're the recurring things you've talked about where you can plan for those and control those costs. And then you've got the non-recurring things. And this is a question of things like, do we need to build a new website? Mm-hmm. Do we need to do major upgrades to our CRM system? Are we going to, a classic example is a TGA. Rebrand. Rebrand. Uh, TGA updated some uh, legislational policy the other day. So now we've got to redo a whole bunch of marketing for a lot of medical related clients. Yes. You know, that was not, not something that was planned when we had the discussion this time last year. Yep. So when we're planning for this year moving forward, we know we've got to do that because obviously the, the rules have come into effect. So you're going to have non-recurring costs and that's an allocation of capital to go, okay, well, in the next 12 months, are we likely to rebuild a new website? Are we thinking about rebranding, et cetera? And so you then might have your standard recurring budget, which again, going back to percentage of rev might be 5, 10, 15% or whatever, but then you might have major upgrades, you know, 
website, ma- even website maintenance, like updating case studies on the website, yeah. updating imagery to make sure you look relevant, blog writing, blog posting, all that type of stuff. So Adding and taking away new team members on a yeah. website. <laughs> as much as we might joke about that, that's something that happens constantly, especially in a growing business where you're adding, you know, two, three, 10, 20, if you constantly. can find them, people a month. So the right marketing agency will take that into consideration when building the website, just FYI. So if you have that problem, please speak to us. Yeah. Yeah. If you can use online banking, you should be able to use your own website. (laughs) If you can't, you've got a problem. 100%. So um, let's talk about like kind of fixed fee costs or the ongoing recurring costs that we talk about. Um, I'll go through each kind of major service that clients engage us for. And let's talk about kind of what would you spend, right? So let's talk about social media content. Management? Management. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think for fairness, because not everyone's a client of ours is listening to this, we probably should give people a range between like what an average agency might charge and what like a good agency might charge and then what someone being ripped off might pay. Okay. Because I think there's actually three points in there. I actually have no idea what other agencies charge. I just know what we do. I know you don't. So you can. (laughs) (laughs) I do because I get the comparison from from new clients when they're like, well, I I pay this or I'm paying that. Yeah. So if you think of social media management, right, if you're paying an agency or a freelancer, say, sub two grand a month, you're probably getting a subpar product delivery because in all honesty, it's very difficult to produce well-designed, well-written, strategically placed content regularly on social media for a client for less than about a couple grand a month. Yeah. it's it, There's a lot more that goes into content than what people realise. And the way it's done, when we do content for clients, we have an art director, we have a graphic designer and we have a content writer. You know, it's not one person building it on Canva who's still at university. Well, He's a specialist. I know, and you, but you've got to be fair. Some businesses aren't at a point where they can afford to get an agency and spend, you know, two and a half, three and a half grand a month on social content production because they simply aren't there yet in terms of their business size. But there's no excuse for a business that's established that has the funds to invest in social media content appropriately. But the big, big difference is, is when people engage an agency like us, they get a team who produce their content versus if you're finding someone who's, you know, a freelancer or a friend of a friend or, you know, the daughter of someone that your <laughs> mum goes to like, you know, crochet club with, then, you know, they might only be charging you a thousand bucks a month or 1500 bucks a month because they're a one man band or a one woman band. And some of those are really capable, but the problem is, is they, they don't have capacity. So the moment something happens in their lives, you know, they get COVID, they break up with their boyfriend or their, their girlfriend, you know, they decide to go to Europe for six months. Yep. All of a sudden, they don't have the capability to continue to deliver. And then you find out what 1500 bucks a month really gets you. So even if you bring it in-house sometimes, you know, like with the way the world is at the moment, people are sick a lot, you know. Um, so you've got people who, social media marketing people who are sick with COVID and then they get the flu and then they get the, their cold and you still need that consistency in your marketing. Well, it's interesting actually. So when I'm talking with new clients, a lot of the time they actually have someone in-house who can do it or had been doing it, but isn't able to do it consistently enough because it's not actually their sole focus. Say for example, you're trying to compare costs and you, you're, you know, you're trying to save as much as you possibly can and you go, well, it's going to be cheaper for me to put someone on in-house two days a week or three days a week. Oh, yeah. You're still going to spend 35, 40 grand a year, which is what it would have cost to have an agency do it anyways. So the interesting thing is that there is no shortcut to good quality content. There's only shortcomings when it comes to content. 
So the other thing we've got to talk about, which I think people should know, is if they're paying five, six, seven grand a month for content production or content, social media content management, they're probably paying significantly too much. Yeah. I mean, it depends what it includes though. So if if it's new imagery and photography, if it's videography, all those type of things all comes into consideration as well. So whilst, yes, I do agree with that comment, that is, I wish we could charge that, but we just can't. And you don't need to either. No. There are things that I think in certain types of businesses and in certain types of industries, it's warranted. It just depends on what the business requires. And that's something that we go through when we are taking clients on and we are talking to them. Clients are, what are they budgeting for content, our clients? Yeah, typically somewhere between two and a half and five grand a month is what most clients would spend on social media management. And that just depends on how many platforms, how many posts a week, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then I guess the next thing that, you know, usually carries on from that is like Facebook and Instagram advertising, Mm -hmm. which is something that is in most businesses' arsenal these days. They're generally doing some form of ads on on Facebook and Instagram. And you just can't not do it, to be honest, because everyone else is. So Yeah, and, and that's the thing is that when you're not doing something, your competitor probably is. Or if they're not and they figure out that you're not, then they're gonna start doing it. So as a business owner, you are competitive. A lot of business owners don't think they are until- We are all competitive. Business owners are every all competitive. Business, when a business owner says, you know, <laughs> I really want to be like X, they're not actually saying I want to look and be like that company. They're saying I want to be that company. But I guess when it comes to like Facebook and Instagram ads management, same thing. Like, yeah, everyone's got a friend, a freelancer, you know, a click funnel specialist, some 23-year-old guy working from his bedroom at home who might be charging 500 to 1000 bucks a month. I don't even ads. know how you can do it at that because it's just the industry, like especially Facebook and Instagram, they are changing weekly. Well, you can- How do you even, like, you just can't keep up with that. No, you can do it for that amount. You just do a terrible job. Yeah. So- It's a half job. Yeah, it is a half job. And I think the problem is, is that- It's a set and forget job, which a lot of businesses don't realise when they are engaging people at that price point- it is set and forget and they are not looking at results. They are not optimising. They are not providing recommendations. They are not changing things to improve results. The, the easiest way to know if you're getting good value for your money or not is if you look in your inbox and in your email and your phone history and go, have I spoken to my agency? You know, if it's not every other week, it's at least once a month. And if I look at my emails, have I got regular reports? Have I got regular recommendations? Like, do I have a proactive agency or do I just have someone who sends me an automated report and I never hear from them? Yeah. And I mean, half the time we're providing recommendations, half the time we're having to update our accounts based on the changes that Facebook and Instagram are rolling out. So there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that people don't realise, but it's a moving target, social media advertising at the moment. It just continues to change. And the biggest issue, the the reason why there has been so much change in the last, say, 12 months, and it will continue over the next couple of years, is um, third-party data will be gone and we've got to shift to first party, which is fine. Like we know exactly what we've got to do. We have spent the time researching it and planning and forward planning for all of our clients. So we know what we've got to do to minimise the impact of our clients. There will be an impact. Everyone's going to be impacted. Well, and I think a lot of people probably don't quite understand the impacts of poor advertising management because they've gone through a market in the last two years with everyone, every numpty with an internet connection thought that they were an ad management genius and went and started an agency. And it's only over the next 
you know, 12, 24, 36 months that all of a sudden businesses would realise how much money they're actually losing or wasting, which is infuriating when you when you think about after the fact. Yeah. So if there was one bit of advice I would be giving business owners right now, it would be stress test the agency or the freelancer that you're working with because they might have been able to do an okay job in the last two years when there was heaps of free money circulating in the economy. But unless they really know their shit now, they are really going to struggle to deliver the results that you're hoping to achieve over the next 12, 24 months. And so what should businesses be budgeting? Oh, look, a small business probably needs to budget about a thousand bucks a month going up to anywhere, you know, going up from there. It could be two, three, four, five, ten grand a month management. But typically most businesses will spend between one and three grand a month on ad management. That's assuming they're spending, say, you know, anywhere from a few grand to 50 to 80 grand a month in spend. And And so what about artwork? Artworks charged separately. Yep. Artworks just an hourly rate thing. Yeah. And, and again, that's the beauty about having an agency who has an art department as opposed to like a freelancer who doesn't. Yeah. Is the difference in advertising. So it's interesting. Social media advertising is kind of not really, because it's been a, such a new space, it's not being treated with the same level of respect, intent and thought that traditional advertising has. And so there's a lot of throwaway ads on Facebook and Instagram. But the difference in results between a really well-planned, strategically creative campaign on Facebook and Instagram compared to one that's just a throwaway, which is just like some on-trend, you know, hipster type thing, the difference in return is massive. And so I think what people probably also need to consider is, yes, you've got your investment in advertising management, which is a very technical, hands-on, analytical, numbers-based skill. But then you've also got the creative component, which is part of management because the account, the person actually running or managing your ad accounts needs to be able to turn to their art department and their creative team to say, can we do some different creative that will actually generate a better response? And then you have an art director come in, you have a creative director come in, you have a team, a strategist come in and actually create content that will, or or advertising that will convert better. Yeah. We talk about creative led digital advertising. Um, So you are investing in that creative piece to to generate the results and position your business for what you are trying to achieve. Yeah. And so what about Google ads? Similar thing. Yep. Like you, you, probably similar cost to Facebook and Instagram ads. Yes. And similar thing where you pay for, um, you know, you, you'll pay for artwork because some businesses need artwork every month because they might have regular sales every week or every month. Others don't need anything for three months. Yep. But typically when we're budgeting, we'll go, okay, well, here's a management fee based on you know, because your management fees usually are a fixed fee plus a percentage of your advertising spend. Yes. Some people try and charge like 20% of advertising spend, but if you're spending like, you know, 100 to 300 grand a month on ad spend, like that is a ridiculously high management fee. Others are just, you know. It's also a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work. But at the same time, again, there's kind of like a realm between getting value and not getting value. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, as long as your advertising and marketing costs is in line with what your percentage revenue that you've allocated that you feel is fair and your agency's agreed to as well. Because if I have a client who's like, I want to spend 2% of my rev on marketing and I know it's not possible, I'll just tell them there and then as opposed to be responsible for it down the track because yep. the wrong thing would be is to give them the false expectation that they're going to hit their numbers without adequate investment. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, you, you, there's a big range in what people charge and how they'll charge, but typically you've got a management fee, might be one to three or five grand a month, yep. you know, up to 10. And then you've got artwork, artwork which might be every month or it might be every quarter, but typically yep. you're updating every quarter. And when we talk about artwork, you obviously, you don't have artwork for search, but you do for display, you know, whether we're building HTML5 ads or, you know, which is just another world to live in, which we do, which is great. Or are you building YouTube ads and, and YouTube bumper videos? You know, it depends on what you're doing. It will be, depend on the cost of artwork 
for your campaigns? One question that a lot of businesses probably need to get their heads around is the agency that they've employed, do they actually have the skills in the art team to produce motion graphics and animation and actually proper advertising? HTML5 ads. Yeah, you know, because like, it's it's not just someone who's got a year of design Oh, my gosh, no, I experience wish. Can produce- <laughs> as a business owner, like as an agency owner, I wish that was the case, but it's not. So, yeah, business owners need to understand or marketing managers need to understand if the agency they've engaged has the skill set within the art department to actually produce really good advertising because they've got people in-house who actually can do animation, motion graphics, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I mean you have creative thinkers or like ideation and then you've got execution, you know, which is, you know, has that team got the technical skills to execute? Do they even know what they're, they are required to execute? Like do they have the artwork specs and do they understand the best way to build a YouTube bumper video ad, you know? So you've got all of those things to think about as well. And, and I think it's, you know, obviously without getting too technical about the requirements of different advertising platforms, it's an interesting point to be able to, when you're trying to compare apples for oranges and engaging agencies, because that's one thing that often happens is someone might go, well, these guys are $500 a month and you guys are two grand a month. What's the difference? It's like, well, you've got access to this entire team who can produce X as opposed to this one-man band working from home who might be a... And what I know after doing this for the last five years is that one person cannot do everything, even if they say that they can. Yeah, they don't exist. They don't exist. So you have different, you know, you hire different people for different skill sets and different experiences and different ways of thinking. And so all of those together can create a really, you know, quite amazing campaigns that can come out. Yeah, definitely. So what about email marketing? Yeah, everyone should be doing more of it. Yeah. I mean, we're a bit old school because we kind of grew up in the marketing era of growing a list of marketing to it. Yeah, I mean, I come out of Legion. So that's my background. Yeah. And that was because in, you know, the earlier 2000s and, you know, in 2010s and so forth, you actually had to build loyalty and engagement with a prospective customer before you could sell something to them. It's actually only been the last couple of years you could just switch an ad on and people would buy stuff. Yeah. And I think we're returning to that. So like as, as hard as it's been, as crazy as people have looked at me in the last couple of years, I've been saying to people, yeah, look, let's keep running campaigns to generate now money, but like future-proof yourselves, build a list because at some point you're going to want to reduce advertising costs are going to go up in digital and to get more efficient use of your spend, build a big list and then use email marketing and sales. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is what people don't realise with email marketing is your advertising and email marketing go hand in hand. So quite often we're pulling lists of people that, you know, a segment where we're, we're sending an EDM out to that person. We may even have sent an SMS out to that person as part of that campaign, but we're also placing remarketing to those people via social media channels and Google display channels as well. So everything does link together and impact the message and their actions. So it's like, it's a nice reminder. And it's hard for a lot of clients who aren't exposed to this on a regular basis to understand why you might have a line item in your ad budget for email growth because you've then got to understand three steps in the strategy later. It's actually about trying to generate a sale cheaper based on a remarketing ad running to your email audience. To be honest, the return on investment of email marketing is astronomical. Oh, it's it's awesome. But I think the old school thought, and we've seen a shift in this in the last probably 24 months, I think, especially with the rise of e-commerce and the competitiveness of e-commerce where people are having to invest more and more into their email marketing. And there are some amazing platforms out there with, if you combine it with great design, great copywriting, great campaign planning, 
can nurture your clients en masse and it they convert. You know what I mean? So you've got things like um, Clubio, which we are, you know, really big fans of. We love Clubio. It's something that we are rolling out across for a lot of our clients at the moment, both in email, man- you know, like monthly or weekly or daily email management, but also in automation as well. And then you've got other softwares like MailChimp, HubSpot, Keep, things like that, that also offer those email marketing solutions. But when you combine email marketing with your advertising, with your content, with your blog writing, and it's like a continuous loop, they might see the social media content piece, but then they haven't opened the email marketing piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or they saw it on social and then they got an email about it. So then they've converted off the email, but technically they saw it off social. I mean, with email marketing, there's, yes, there's some ongoing, you can have recurring deliverables every month where you might engage an agency to produce a monthly EDM or a weekly EDM or something like that. There's not a lot of ongoing per se management. Like the other week I saw a comparative quote from another agency who for Clavio and they were charging the client like three and a half or four grand a month to manage their flows. The reality, they weren't actually doing anything for it though. I'm like, do you know what they're doing? They're like, well, they're managing the flows. I'm like, yeah, but what are they actually doing? And it um, turns out- FYI, that, the flows manage themselves. Yeah. That's set up. Yeah, that's the whole purpose. <laughs> that hates the purpose of automation. So the poor client had been getting rorted for like 18 months. So, but ultimately, you know, you've got, you might have a fee that you pay an agency to produce a monthly or a weekly EDM or a sales-based EDM and things like that. But then you also have your initial setup cost, a bit like artwork for advertising, where you might spend a few grand designing beautiful automations and flows that might be three, five, seven parts in series based on the action or the activity of the customer. And you might do that once or twice a year, but typically once you've got a good flow set up, you you know, you do small things to refine it. you tweak it, you know. So, you know, we were talking about a couple of things this morning because I've been buying a lot of stuff online in the last couple of weeks. This is for a baby. This is for a baby, yeah. Shopaholic. Yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah. And so, you know, I was explaining a couple of different brands that I've purchased from and the different nurture sequences that I've been in and, you know, some are – amazing where you just know exactly what's going on at every point in time and they use their email marketing to stop you know their customers wondering what the hell's going on with their purchase you know what I mean so so you're educating people and managing their expectations without them getting upset wondering where their orders are you know them calling and speaking to someone you know a quick email to go okay this is the next step is very powerful in self-service. The difference between those who have got really good marketing and in particular email marketing yep. and communication versus those who don't is like night and day. Like yeah. the consumer experience when you buy something from a brand that's nailed it, you're just like, these guys are amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a website that I buy spearfishing equipment from. Mm-hmm. And yes, you do. You know, not that much <laughs> in comparison. Thank you very much. But, you know, the guys at Adreno, Adrenaline down in Brizzy, and they've got stores all over the country now, that is a business that absolutely smashes it. Their marketing is first rate. So, you know, they're, they're an, an amazing example of a brand in an industry that you probably wouldn't necessarily think has the sexiest marketing, but they are a marketing machine as a business. Yeah, and I, you have mentioned them quite a bit to me over the last couple of years and and they're someone that you not only do you buy their products, but you enjoy their content and, you know, subscribe to their newsletter and watch their videos, like everything you kind of consume because they do put the effort in and it's a long-term reward for them. Yeah, that they do so much for their audience yeah. that 
it's no wonder they built such a large dedicated audience. But at, at the same token, you know, there's a heap of people in that space, but no one comes even close because they just haven't nailed their marketing like those guys. Yeah. You know, what would you budget for e- email marketing and SMS, which should be considered and but should be used, a lot of consideration should be used when using SMS marketing as well. So what would you budget? Well, like not sending SMSs out on the morning of an election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to upset people. Yeah. Don't use SMS for the wrong reason. Correct. Uh, so you can't, well, let's talk about email specifically. Mm-hmm. You've got the first, there's three costs, right? You've got subscription costs of the platform that you're going to use. Yep. And that's calculated based on the size of your list. So some are like literally, you know, up to a certain amount. Others are based on how many hundred or how many thousand you have. So if you've got a hundred thousand on a list, you know, you might spend a grand or two a month in subscription fees. Yep. But if you've got 100,000 on your Which list- Which isn't that much when you're communicating to that many people. No, no, that, think about it. that's right. But if you've got 100,000 people on a list, you're probably doing pretty bloody well yeah. out of your list. And if you're not, you're with the wrong people. Yeah. So typically people might spend anywhere from 100 bucks a month to 1,000 bucks a month and maybe a little bit more when you get into the bigger leagues. Yep. In the subscription fees to a platform like MailChimp, Clavio, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> is our preference. Yeah. Well, it's just a better system. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's very um, good. And then you've got- the cost of an agency to produce the initial automations and flows, your email marketing sequence. Yep. So that, you know, you could spend a couple grand, you could spend 10 grand. It just depends on the scale. If it's two emails or 20 emails that are, you know, professionally designed and copywritten and, and then set and all those sorts of things. And then, you know, ongoingly, you know, you might spend nothing at all in a month or you might spend a thousand bucks a month. It just depends on the scope of something. You know, we've got a 12- That's what needs to be done. You know. Yeah, and look, we've got a 12-month campaign we're about to launch for a very, very large specialist group, mm-hmm. um, like a surgical specialist group, and it's very educational-based. This is really copy-heavy about some really specific conditions and treatments and surgeries, which requires a heap of research from yeah, our copywriting research, team. A lot of research, a lot of thought. Yeah, and, you know, you've got to interview each surgeon because it's a specialty of that specialty. Like it's, you know, it's so many layers deep. So that, you know, that's going to be an expensive exercise. They'll probably spend a couple of grand a month doing it, but the value to them is huge, like absolutely massive. Yeah, and for them, like once it's kind of you've done that one surgery type or whatever, that's your investment there for quite a long period of time because it's not like e-commerce. They're not running out of stock. They're not changing methods, you know, every two seconds. But the interesting thing about that though is if you've also got to think of what uses you'll get out of that. So let's say hypothetically someone spent a thousand bucks a month on their subscription costs for the platform they're using. They've spent say 10 grand doing the initial sequence or five grand doing the initial sequence. And then they're spending a thousand bucks a month on on a really, really, really good monthly EDM that's educational. That EDM also would probably become a blog on your website. So, and if the people writing it are half smart. They've done it with some SEO structure, SEO benefits in mind. So that content that's being produced isn't just being produced for an EDM that may or may not be read. It's also then becoming an asset added to your website that's providing long-term SEO benefit. And then they're including it in your social media content and then they're placing advertising about it. So we talk about that continuous loop. Yeah. So you're investing in it and the thought about like the longevity of that investment is thought about. And I think one other thing to consider with email marketing is the industry that you're in. Obviously it's very like costs and automation 
how much automation you need varies. I mean, e-commerce is a really good example of an industry that needs really in-depth processes with their email marketing and thought and effort purely because you can fire off emails at all different steps along the purchase journey. So, you know, is there an abandoned cart email? Like, have they engaged in an email in the last 30 to 60 days? What are you doing for those people? Have they visited this category on the website? Are you going to send an automated email to people that didn't buy that visited that category two days later? But then it could be something as simple as like, you know, a forensic accounting is emailing a big list of people to say, hey guys, you know, moratorium on ATO collecting GST and income tax is now ended, pay up. Yeah. Or be at risk <laughs> or of being or, or be at risk of being wound up. And if yeah. you've got problems, call us. Yeah. You know, they might only do that once every quarter. That's got to be very well thought about. But it's and the be wording has to be bang on. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, you know, in the case of like a forensic accounting firm, they have a very, very different way of engaging using email marketing to their database than say e-commerce does or the way medical. And then also, you know, we talked specifically about sales, but also email marketing to educate your audience for a couple of reasons. One is because yes, that can help with conversion of sales. It can also substantiate value. So it can be a value signal because if the customer experience is so good, then they're more likely to pay more for the product or service that you're offering. But then also you can alleviate pressure on communications into the business, so inbound comms yes. with intelligent outbound comms. Yes. So if your phone lights up with dumb questions all the time that you think are dumb, but realistically it's just that you haven't preempted those questions. Yep. So who's the dumb one? <laughs> By sending appropriate communication to that prospective customer when they first engage with you to explain how the process works, what they need to do, what they need to think about, et cetera, you can then alleviate pressure on your you know, front of house receptionist yeah. or sales team or whatever it might be purely by using automations and email marketing. So it can be used as a communication tool to reduce the burden of human resources. I mean, even little things, people. well, like even little things. So if you inquire with our business on our website and you put your details into the form, we will call you back, but we will also send you an email, which has a link where you can, if you really, like, if you're busy, you can book your own appointment. Yeah. Well, at you probably know. 50% of the time, people who inquire with us, they'll often book themselves into an appointment because I make my calendar accessible to people. And yep. often it is a little bit like playing calendar Tetris where they're trying to jam things in all the time. My team think it's a game, but ultimately- But if you're a busy person, that's a great way. That self-service is so valuable. Well, the phone tag is the killer, right? Yeah. So in the case of the way we're using email comms, someone inquires, they can then, you know, they get an email saying, thanks very much, here's my calendar, book in a time that best suits you is so much better than farting around with 15 <laughs> phone calls back yeah. and forth. And, and then you can be prepared for the call or you know that you can lock out 15 minutes where you've got time and you won't be interrupted or you'll be interrupted less. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, imagine if you just rocked up to the <laughs> doctor, the GP expecting to be seen because <laughs> you've got an urgent matter. Like, Yeah, so you can use email, email marketing for that. What are the other major investments that, so we've just talked about like, they're kind of like, they could be fixed costs because we can forward plan those things. So we talked about social content, Facebook, Instagram ads, even like LinkedIn ads, all that type of stuff. Any ad management, Google ads, YouTube ads, et cetera, email marketing. But what are the other major investments that a business might need to consider when they're planning for their next 12 months? Website's probably the big one. Yep. Everyone really should be having a close look at their website and going, is it fit for purpose or not? I would probably say that 50 to 70% of websites out there are not. I reckon it's higher. 
to be honest. I like the biggest complaint that we get from like people come, even clients coming into us, engaging us for marketing services. Like how many people do you speak to that are like 100% happy with the state of their website? No one, everyone hates their website. (laughs) But the interesting thing is, is how stuck on it they are. A bit of advice I would give people is, and I'm saying this from experience, we build a new website every 12 months and and a lot of people are going to listen to that and go, you're, you're mad. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But the reality is, is if you want a, a really good functioning website that you can constantly be top of mind with people, that has got a great user experience, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like you do have to update it regularly. So I would say a lot of people do need to either update or build a new site. To be honest, most people, and this is because of the legacy platforms, people have been building websites on how they've been built. Sadly, the five, the 10, even the 50 or hundred grand that you spent building a site a year ago, two years ago. It's out of date. It's kind of going to be out of date. Yeah. And the big, big thing will be the platform it's on and the customer experience that it offers. And the customer experience is both you from an internal perspective of how you update that site. Like I said before, you know, if you can use online banking, you should be able to use your own website. And also the customer who's actually navigating their way through the site. So websites normally one of the biggest ones and we look at what they've got, what they might need, et cetera. And sometimes it's not as straightforward as going, sure, we'll punch out a new site in the next few months. It's something where, you know, we've got clients we've been planning for 12 months before we start building a site because so much thought and planning has to go into it. Yeah. The execution now that we've got through that planning stage is very fast. We'll get it done in a couple of months. Yeah. But the reality is it's still something you've got to be thought about. Yes. Because if you don't really, really, really think about your scope, you'll end up with scope creep, which... Yeah, and sometimes as well, you know, it may not be a whole new website. We might be testing a, we might build a single page. Landing page. Landing page to drive, you know, to see whether that would generate the traffic that they require. So, and the results that they would require. And then you go, if that works, then you might then consider doing a multi-page depending on the type of business you're in and what you're selling, all that type of stuff as well. A lot of the time when we're talking about websites with clients, because I would chat probably to two clients every day about their website. Yeah. They hate that they want to update. By the time you go and update something, it's out of date. date. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a bit like the the way to think about it is you've got an old car that needs a heap of work done to it and you're like holding on to it with emotional attachment. Now, unless it's like a classic car that you're going to keep forever, let go of it. Yeah. Because the reality is you're throwing good money after bad down the drain a lot of the time when you're trying to update an old site and you're also compromising. And that's one thing a lot of people don't understand is or think about is, yeah, like it stings to go and spend, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 grand on a new website. Let's say it's 15. Like that's a palatable yeah. amount for a lot of people. And and to be honest, 15 to 20 grand gets most people a sick website. Yeah, um, that is easy for them to use and manage themselves. Yeah, unless you need highly customised yeah. functionality, which most people don't. Mm-hmm. And it, they're not going to like, that's not going from 15 to 20. That's going from 15 to like a hundred to two or 300. Agreed. So people need to really think about that. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, you really should just consider having the best fit for purpose site you can. And you need to let go of the emotional attachment to the, what you spent on your last one. And how long it took you to do the last one as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, websites now are like a less than two month exercise yeah. when you do them right. Yeah. So uh, they're a less than one month exercise if you do them with us. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's an intense process that we run. We can't expect that everyone's going to deliver a site like that. I mean, most people are preparing themselves for six months of absolute pain. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> so, you know. And they've all got a bit of PTSD from doing oh, the website, it, it, you know. Anyone who's ever built a website that's taken <laughs> some time and spent a decent amount of money just cringes. It's a bit and like I, branding as well is the yeah. other thing, right? Because 
heaps of people will spend six months farting around doing branding oh and they're gosh. going through like, if you've got north of like a 50 page brand like guide where there's 40 mock-ups of like billboards and you don't use billboards or like <laughs> business cards and you've never printed them and yeah. the, all the things that an agency puts in to substantiate the 80 grand they've stung you. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a waste and you're exhausted by the end of it. So the other thing is, you know, a brand and web are two big things, but not actually that big a cost yep. in reality that they should be thinking about. We would do two to three repositions, yes. which is kind of a similar, it's a branding process. So it's not dissimilar to a new brand, but we do, you know, two or three of those a month yep. with clients who have, you know, could be going for two years, they could be going for 20 years yep. and- they're just reached a point now where their brand doesn't accurately reflect what they do and where they want to go. And and this is the whole thing about planning, say, for the next 12 months is by sitting down and going, hey, what do you think you're going to do in July next year or June next year or May next year? It makes people think longer term and brings up all these things along the way like, oh, you know, actually I'm not happy with this or we really do need to do that or we've got this issue here. So, But it also brings light to the cost to do those things and – Sometimes it's really scary cost, but other times it's not. Well, you know what I mean? So you may have spent $50,000 on a website five years ago. Does it need to cost that anymore? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let, well, think about it this way. It's a bit like a car in normal markets. Yep. The moment you drive it off the dealership, it's worth half of what you paid. Yeah. A website's the same. Yep. The moment that you finish building it- Can you depreciate a website on your- on your books? Well, you write it off. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a cost. There's even some proposed legislation at the moment about adding and you can write something off by 120% if you're building a new website. I'm seeing a lot of agencies <laughs> try and spruik this at the moment and it's like, well, it's not quite legislation yet. So you might want to just- Yeah, be careful. Be careful of that. You shouldn't be doing a new website for tax purposes. But I also think like with regards to web in particular, there's so much innovation in these low code, no code websites platforms now, which allows you to save time, energy in other places. So if I think of like hosting costs and security problems and, you know, things like that, where if you use these platforms that are fit for purpose, so like, let's talk about Shopify, for example, you know, fit for e-com, yeah. you know, you can't compete against it. Like if you're doing e-com and you're not on Shopify, what, what I don't even know what you're doing, you know, whereas you've got other platforms where things like Webflow or Squarespace, which have had a negative, you know, connotation from the old school web developers who promote WordPress. Well, if your life as a web developer is built around building complex, painful, annoying, yeah. long-winded websites, <laughs> then you're not exactly going to be too fond of like Webflow coming in and going, hey, by yeah. the way, everything you wanted to do with that highly customised, expensive website, you can do in hours for like a tenth of the cost and in like a, a third of the time. Yeah, with no code. Yeah, yeah. And, and it'll be way better looking, last you longer and you'll have a lot more enjoy, like you'll, a lot more enjoyment out of it. Then yeah, I'd be probably pissed off if I was a web developer. But you're right, there is a changing of the guard at the moment where- And these platforms are investing so much money into their innovation and their capabilities. Like, honestly, you can't compete against it. So why not take advantage of it? Well, I, I think there is an appetite for change and I think the Tesla is the best example. Yeah. Right? Like it's pro Tesla's like the first time in history where middle-aged white guys have been the first adopters for something. <laughs> that and like <laughs> Apple watches, it's really funny to see. And I think- That's very true. I've so, never thought about it like that, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Like, so- <laughs> How do they do that? How? Yeah. Oh, 
actually don't know. It'd be a good exercise to analyze yeah, that. Yeah, like, it's what, actually very interesting when you think about that. Sorry, anyway, yeah. we digress. But but like it's an example of where middle-aged white guys were the first adopters of a technology and still are today. So I think it gives us hope to say, hey, look, and no code is probably getting a bit too technical for yeah. in reality. So, Do you want me to explain no code? Well, no. Can you explain no code? Because I get a bit too technical. How do you describe, what is no code? No code is just, it's still code, <laughs> but the way that you build it is different. Yeah. So, we don't need a developer to write custom lines of code to make the website function how we know it should function. The layman's way of describing is, you know, if you're going to build a house, are you like buying timber and building frames piece by piece Mm -hmm. or are you bringing prefabricated frames in but at the end of the day you still have a beautiful, custom, bespoke, architecturally designed house. It's just how you got there is different. Yeah. So what you're actually doing is- And the pain to get there is different. Yeah, and the cost because yeah. let's face it, you know, if there's like, you know, and if you could find the timber to start with, let alone, you know, the tradies to put it together, it's going to take them <laughs> 10 times- You'd nearly be better off milling your own timber to be honest, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> so I was trying to convince it. <laughs> A, a school that I'm involved with to actually <laughs> mill the timber for some pine trees that we've got to take out. And the board that I was nuts when I was suggesting it, but I'm like, guys, do you know how much this is actually worth? There's like a hundred roof trusses in this stuff. We'd be millionaires. We'd pay for the school hall alone. But yeah, ultimately it, it's just no code websites are just a different way of building a website. They're still built on code. It's just the the, plat- the way the platforms it's operate. It's design focused, design and functionality and user experience focused. Like yeah. it is honestly, if you're not doing these things, I don't know why are people fighting it. I do not know. I actually don't I think. I just think you're crazy. Well. But I am very blunt about those things. And you're, Yeah, you're, you're strongly opinionated. I am. You know, passionate would be the diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> But I think you've got to look at it this way. Clients, businesses, marketing managers don't actually know because they're not in it all day, every day. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly right. And so that's not a reflection on them. It's a reflection on on agency and web developers who haven't explained things well enough. Well, it's a bit like the wild, wild west, right? Web web development. Yeah, like it's very – and even – and digital ads is, I feel, the same. You know, it's hard to know – when you are getting the right advice, because there's so much noise out there. It's not like you're a doctor mm. that went to Bond University and finished at Bond and then went and did your fellowship somewhere and you've got a certificate. You know, everyone does things their own way a little bit differently because they have their own beliefs and their own belief structure and university does not teach you any of it. Yeah, you're right. The easiest way to describe it is if you're going to go and spend money on a new car, test drive the car. If you're going to spend money on a website, test drive the website. Yeah. Simplest thing to do, right? And, and when I say test drive a website, you know, get whoever's going to build the thing for you to show you the back end and how it works and whatnot. And if, again, it's not as easy as online banking, then you've got problems. Yeah. So if we talk about websites, like let's say if someone's going to go and build a one-page scroller, they might spend anywhere from, say, five to seven grand on, on like a comprehensive one-page scroller, which looks and acts like a real That's website. Yeah. It just doesn't have separate pages for each navigation option. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a multi-page, it obviously does. You know, someone could spend 15 or 20, right? Yep. And then if it's e-com, they could spend 15 to 50, depending on what they're trying to achieve, et cetera. 15 to a million. We don't do the millions, but yeah, it depends on the no, type of business. And, and like we know where where we sit in 100%. web development. Yeah. And when clients have a requirement where it's like, you know what, you actually need a team of 30 people working on this for the next six months to build you the site and you need to budget a million bucks. Yeah. And a lot of people would just like think I'm making that up. 
and I wish I could say I am, but I'm not. Yeah. We will refer. I mean, we turned a job down this week purely because we did not have the capability to do the custom work that they required because our business is not built that way. Well, our business is built around delivering what 95% of clients require and the 5% that we can't help, we'll we'll still be able to help them with their digital ads and content and all those sorts of things. Yeah, we We partner with another. But we'll refer them to the best of the best to do what they need to do. And that's what it's like. Agencies need to get better at being honest with clients about what they can and they can't do. Mm. And you need to know where you're really, really good and where you cannot deliver. And if we think we cannot deliver something that we personally would be happy with, we'll we'll be man enough slash woman enough to say, hey, we actually want to introduce you to XYZ because they are the people you need to do it. But you need to think about not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to build what you want to do. What about branding? What did you say about branding or rebranding? I think if people are doing branding, again, it comes back to like the one man band versus agency. So one man bands, you got everything from like Fiverr on the internet that do a logo, which- For $5. Yeah, for five bucks, which, you know, gets you that get you get all the five bucks worth <laughs> um, to like say freelancers who might be charging one or two or three grand or something. Yeah. And then you got agencies charging, you know, four, five, six, seven, up to say 10. Mm-hmm. And then you got those who, and then there's actually a quantum leap. So the interesting thing about branding, right, is so there's branding agencies who will charge mostly somewhere between 20 and 60 grand, yes. 20 and 80 grand actually for a brand. Now their business is based around doing just brands and charging a lot. And the way they substantiate it is they have the brand guide and the branding, which is exactly the same as what you would get with someone spending five and a half or six grand on branding, which is still the strategy and the thought and the creativity and your colors and your fonts and your actual brand, your brand mark and all those sorts of things. But then the other 50 grand that you spend with them is basically for all the mock-ups that go at the end of the document. Yep. And there's like 60 pages of mock-ups that no one ever <laughs> uses. And I see these documents, I just piss myself laughing because no one will- I mean, it's important to have application, yeah. right? So application is important. So when, you know, in two years' time, when you've hired a new graphic designer, someone can pick it up and know exactly what to do, what what we stand for, all that type of stuff. So I think it just comes down to, the other thing it comes, sorry, it comes down to, what you require, like what do you require? Well, the, you're right, but let's face it, you, you probably don't need to spend much more than five or 15 grand doing branding. Because I think it depends as well. The other, so the other thing with regards to that pricing is how many decision makers are involved as well and how long's the process required to be. Do you have to run this through boards of directors, all that type of stuff? So we try to sit between what, five and... 15. 10, yeah, five and 15. And we've got a really, a set process that we run that works really, really well for clients. Yeah, but, but I think before we get into that, what, what we should actually explain, so there's some context to this, is our philosophy is your brand is everything. Yes. But it's only as good as the rollout and application and execution of that brand. Yep. So there's no point doing the world's greatest brand if no one ever sees it. Yeah. Or if the world's greatest brand never generates a sale. Mm-hmm. Or if the world's greatest brand never achieves what it's set out to do because all the money was spent on mock-ups of billboards. So the way we approach things is branding has to be very well thought out. There has to be a meaning and a why because the difference between a really well thought out brand that's directly connected to the business objectives and one that's not as chalk and cheese, but we don't believe in dragging things out over months and months and months. We, We literally say, let's dive into this deep for the next, you know, few weeks and let's nail it yep. with absolute focus yep. 
because that will get a better outcome than like death by a thousand pay cuts over six months. And very collaboratively with the client as well, mind you. So we collaborate quite extensively with the client on the entire process. Well, if you don't, what happens, and you often see it in branding actually, if the client is not innately involved in the process and what you're actually doing is producing an authentic representation of what they want, even if they don't know what they want, it's your job to coach it out of them. Yeah. That will be an amazing brand at the end of the process when the client's involved. Because you understand the industry. Yep. You understand the business. Yep. Or you end up with what we often see in marketing, <laughs> which is embarrassing, is brands that are totally disconnected yep. from the client, doesn't sit naturally, is an epic fail. And, you know, I won't name names, but there's some government departments recently that got in trouble <laughs> for this, where there is a huge disconnect because the client wasn't directly involved. And a client doesn't always have to be an individual. It could be an organisation. It could be a committee, a board member, whatever. But ultimately, yeah, clients need to be involved. Yeah. And it's not, branding is not an opportunity for a art director or creative director to try and win themselves an award. Agreed. It's an opportunity to build a brand that they can be proud to say that because the business was so successful that their grandkids are going to get to experience. Yeah. So I think the whole chest beating exercise that goes on in design. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> with like creative dictators is hilarious <laughs> when in reality it's not about them, it's about the client and how and creating something that's going to provide them longevity that they can build a business around. 100%. So yeah, costs like five to 15 is what they probably need to budget. Any more than 15, they've got problems. Yeah. And then you've got rollout costs. So, you know, are you doing signage? What about things like photography and videography? Yeah. You know, I, all that type of stuff where uh, assets, investments that you make because you are using that to apply the brand through all of your ongoing marketing. And because no one's probably had a notebook writing all this crap down for the last 45 minutes, I think what we should probably do is just give them a quick summary to understand what you should allocate based on, say, some example industries and what percentages might be relevant to your turnovers. Mm-hmm. And then also stages of life. So just quickly, if you're a new business, so say you're less than three years old, you're a new business, you're probably still spending, a, you might be spending in the first year, you'll spend two to three times more on marketing than what you will as a percentage of your revenue. So you might spend 20 or 30% of your revenue in your first three years. You might spend 200% of your revenue in the first year. Yeah. Like as in you spend more than you make, which is not uncommon yeah. because you're trying to get off the ground. Yeah. But then over time, that might come down to say 20%. If you're in, say, hypothetically e-com, if you're in a super competitive field in e-com, you might be sitting as an established business at like 15 to 30%. Yeah. 30% if you're doing a bad job, 15% if you're doing a good job. If you're in professional services, you're probably spending between 5 and 10%. Yep. If you're in food, you're probably spending about 10 to 12% of your revenue. Yep. If you're in something really niche. So the more niche something is, the lower the percentage often is. So like we've got some freaks who spend like 3% of their mark of their it's revenue on marketing. But, you know, and that can be someone's doing five mil a month in rev, so yeah. a decent business, but it's because they're so niche that their market isn't that large, but they've got a high value product, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then you've also got to, so, you know, there's different percentages based on revenue. And, and the reality is that just comes down to a business case because you've got to know what your wages are, what your rent's going to be, what your cost of goods is going to be. And just to give context, this is actually what Brendan did for his past life before working in agency. So Brendan worked in mergers and acquisitions for quite some time or like the rest of his career before Yeah, your former life. So the value that Brendan brings to agency life is that he understands business and what those percentages are per different industry. Because when he's 
gone to sell a business or manage and work through a merger or an acquisition for clients that he's representing, he actually knows what those numbers are. And a lot of people don't understand that about Brendan, but that is the information that we are sharing with our team and working with our team to have them understand the industries that we're working in. So they understand why a business is successful and why they're not. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm lucky enough that I spent 15, 16 years wearing ironing shirts every day and wearing a suit. And I didn't iron your shirts. No, you've never ironed my shirts. <laughs> but as a result of looking at, I don't know, I'm guessing three to 5,000 sets of books over that time yeah, and representing like hundreds of companies and you learn a lot. And doing that through multiple cycles, doing that through GFC, doing that through boom times of 05, 06, which is similar to what we've just gone through, you know, where like everyone just thinks the world's just going to keep going up and up and up and up. And then navigating through a down market and then navigating through a flat market. I think I'm really lucky to have that perspective because very rarely is there a business that I either haven't sold or worked in specifically or I haven't analysed. And it does give you a little bit of an advantage when I'm talking to clients because I can say with experience and knowledge what they should be doing. Now, I'm never going to breach confidentiality about no. specific names or, or industries. But, but you understand the problems that those business owners are facing. Yeah. You know, and yep. so you understand it from not only a marketing perspective, you understand it from a monetary perspective and also because you've seen the on-flow effect of how that impacts the business long-term, how that impacts the business owners, how that impacts the team members of that business. You know, so there's a different level of understanding that a lot of people, unless they speak to you, they don't realise that you've had that type of experience. And, you know, we're very lucky to have Brendan and because we can link those marketing solutions to business problems that every day business owners are facing. As a business owner, you are facing problems, whether that's how to grow, you know, like that's a that's not a bad problem to have. That's a really good problem to have. Like how do you grow the next, you know, 20% is not necessarily a negative problem. It's actually a positive problem because you're like, okay, what do I got to do to get here? You know, through to problems like I actually can't find enough people to manage the lead inquiry that we have coming in. So you've got a recruitment problem. Mm. So you're losing revenue because you actually cannot even service the inquiry that you've come in. What an awesome problem to have. But the reason why those questions and problems tie into the, the topic of budgeting and forecasting yeah. and planning is because you actually need to have that level of conversation to plan accurately. Otherwise, you'll find what you set, you know, with best intentions, what you write down at the end of June that you're hoping to kick off from July, but then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year, you've run out of money or your sales aren't where they were meant to be or, you know, you've undercooked and you've missed out on growth. Like that's another thing that can happen where someone's actually not been able to achieve, fulfill their full potential because. Well, they've fought the marketing. Yeah, or they've fought it. We've fought it. They're either fighting it or they're flaunting it. Yeah, it's kind of like an innate human. (laughs) It's like an adrenal response where they either fight or flight marketing. (laughs) It's very frustrating. Yeah. Well, there's those who embrace it. The embracing is those that embrace it, you watch those businesses and you have so much fun working with those clients. And it's not, and it can be in any industry, but because they are succeeding their goals, you know, we're succeeding our goals. And, you know, we get to be, even if it's a little bit a part of that success, you know, we're a part of that journey with them, which is the best part. Yeah. Well, if our clients win, we can't lose. Yeah. <laughs> so I think um, when it comes to this whole concept around planning, yeah. it's it's as simple as literally ripping out an Excel spreadsheet yeah. or sheets in Google, if that's what you use yeah. and 
write down what you did every month in revenue last year. Yep. Decide if you think you're going to hit the same or if you're going to do less or more. You know, for a lot of people, they're going to do less. And they're probably numbers this year as in moving forward are going to be more comparative to 2019, not 2020 or 2021. Yeah. So 2023 for a lot of businesses will be like 2019. Yeah. So that's your first thing. Second thing is what do you spend on marketing mm-hmm. in last, like to do the numbers you did last year and what percentage does that equate to? That's your baseline. Okay. Now you've got a baseline. Let's now start doing some forecasts. What do you want to do next year in revenue? And then what percentage are you going to allocate for marketing? Yeah. And then based on that percentage, you then start, you know, oh, that's basically the point where the agency goes, okay, well, let's start plotting what you need to spend where. So they basically allocate that capital accordingly across the different advertising platforms and activities and programs that they believe is the best use of capital to achieve what you want to achieve. And then talk about other things that might impact that. So, you know, do we keep a little pot of money aside? Often I'll build fat into a budget with clients to go, hey, look, let's put this line item in just in case we need to use it. If we don't, you know what, that's party funds at the end of the year. But if we do use it, we know we've kept some powder dry because it is important. You know, like something could happen when you're like, you know what, we need to go ham and you want to make sure that you've planned for that. Yeah. I mean, like quite often we receive phone calls from clients because some of their competitor is doing something suddenly, you know, (laughs) like, so it's like, what do you call it? Like your arch nemesis marketing. Well, everyone's got an arch nemesis. So that fat can be used for things like that. Like that is often, I'm not kidding. We get that. We have that phone call from a lot of clients quite regularly. They're like, oh my gosh, my client, you know, my competitor is doing X. We now have to do X. So things like that. I've got a couple of things that I want people to consider when they're forward planning their marketing budgets. This comes from a, not only from an agency perspective, but just as a marketing manager perspective. So you really need to involve your CFO and educate them. So one thing that we experience a lot is you work on marketing budgets with people, but the CFO has usually undercooked their allocation of the marketing budget or just generally what things cost. You know what I mean? So they don't know what photography costs. They don't know what a website costs. They don't know. And they might be basing those assumptions of that line item about what they paid for it five years ago. Or or 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah. So involving your CFO and your financial controller, whoever that is in those conversations and that planning is really powerful in being able to get approval for your marketing budgets if you've got that person inside your business. Have all the stakeholders sign off and, and understand as well and agree on, like they've got to back it. They can't be doing it to prove it wrong. They've got to back it because they believe it's going to work. So get that agreement from all the key stakeholders when you're doing marketing budgets. Yeah. And you know, like if that means involving us as an agency in chatting to them as well, that's a very easy conversation for us to have. And we would prefer to have that in the planning stage. So, you know, when we do put something forward, it's not shock and awe. It's actually, this is what it costs, regardless of where you go, this is what you should be budgeting. Well, you know I've, I mean? I've got to do that with clients who are yeah. like listed entities. I have to do it with you. Yeah. So. <laughs> You've got to do what everyone else does. <laughs> the other thing is speaking to your customers and getting some feedback about what they think. So whilst you would think this is a logical piece of information, a lot of marketing, especially a lot of marketing managers don't actually talk to the end consumers of the people that are buying the product or experiencing the service. Having that chat and talking to them about how did you hear about us? You know, why did you 
call us six months later. You know, just having that information is really helps you make decisions. Well, it can uncover things that you didn't know worked or didn't work or that you're not doing or you are doing well. And you can use things like, I used to use events to do that. So when I was a marketing manager, I used to run open days for events, which was just like, you know, as a anxious person, you know, I'd freak out. No one would show up to these open days, but then I'd get hundreds of people through the door because we had a good database email marketing system and and that worked. But that was a really good way for me to just have a general chat to people coming through the door. Uh, questions like, um, how did you hear about us? You know, how long have you been following us on social media? All those types of things. So you get an idea as to the customer journey, how long they might be watching you before they are starting to make a decision. You'd be surprised how many people sit back and just watch what's going on. And when you have that information, it allows you to, even if it's just in your head, justify the costs of investing in something that doesn't generate a lead then and there. You know, so social media doesn't generate a lead the second that someone watches that post. However, it's a good reminder that when they're ready to make a decision in six months time, If you're consistently showing up and you're consistently in their feed in a respectful, creative, thoughtful way, hopefully they remember you. And having a baby is reminding me of this, you know. So I started following baby brands like I'm 23 weeks pregnant as I started to fall pregnant. Obviously at six weeks, I'm not going to be buying anything. But at 20 weeks, I started, Mm. as you know. Mm. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, it's been – and these items are not – $30,000 items. They're like, you know, a cushion for $100. And so I've been following those brands for a couple of months now. So you've got to think about those things and just talk to your customers because it helps you make decisions and provide recommendations. So if you are talking to your CFO, you can actually give them that information as well. And you can have those real world conversations with stakeholders, CFOs, things like that. The other thing to consider, which Brendan did touch on, is new trending medias and how does it apply to your customer? So one thing we're we're working on and, and we're rolling out for clients at the moment is digital TV, which is kind of a, it's not a new medium, but everyone's watching TV on their iPhones and their smart TVs. Digital TV actually allows you to place media through like SBS, Foxtel, et cetera, like you would if you were buying traditional TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're helping people transition from- Traditional. What some medias that are becoming somewhat redundant and very, very costly to those that are fit for today's Yeah. And you're seeing a lot of um, e-commerce brands marketing on digital TV. All day, every day. You know, they're on YouTube, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, but, you know, 12 months ago, were they on digital TV? No. Are they sucking budget from elsewhere or are they adding budget? You know, are they building in fat for new and and trending medias that are coming out that you should be considering as a business? So that really depends on, one, your business, what your customer is. You know, like 12 months ago, would people have invested in TikTok? Not so much. Today, how often are you having TikTok conversations, Brendan? I mean, I've been having them for 12 months, but I've been saying to clients, we need to wait and see, and I'll be the first to tell you when I think it's appropriate for your brand. And so I'm now having those conversations circling back to clients and saying, hey guys, this platform is applicable now and this is how you can use it for your brand. Yeah. And sometimes you can shuffle budget, but often it's, you just have to cop it and you need another line item for that medium. From someone who runs the books (laughs) in our business, it's not just about copping it. Thank you very much. You've got to accept it. Well, no, what you've actually, no, I I disagree with that completely. I think what you've actually got to do, so it does do one of two things. Is it an extra cost, but it's going to maintain our existing revenue? Or is this an extra avenue that will generate extra revenue and therefore you want to support it? Mm -hmm. So no one in business has to cop anything. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) 
Says the marketing manager. Yeah. And, and But this is the kind of conversation you need to be able to have with your agency because agencies are like, we should do this, we should do this, and that's great. But the reality is, is yeah. that there needs to be a business conversation around, okay, well, how are we going to fund this stuff? Yeah, and should we be doing this? You know, like yeah. where should we be investing our money? So quite often clients do come to us with ideas and whilst we want to support ideas and, and whatnot, we do sit there and think, what are our recommendations? Well, we always bring it back to when we first engage a client, we ask, what is our number one, whether it be metrics or KPI, how are we judging the success of this? Yeah. And so that way, when we know it's all about how many consultations are booked every week and if it's 50 consults a, book a week and we are on or off track, yeah. that's what everything, every future conversation comes back to. So when they say, can we hire blimps to drop flies, <laughs> we'll say, okay, well, how is that going to, is that going to lead to more consults or not? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that is one thing you do need to, like from a marketing manager perspective, you do need to consider new trending medias and, you know, that might not be to roll out tomorrow, but it might just be something in the back of your head that you're thinking about and, you know, researching and considering whether, yes, it can have a positive impact on hitting your goals and whether you should be investing in it or not. Um, so they're my, they're my tips. Um, Brendan obviously thinks about it from a costing and uh, business perspective. I think of it from a marketing perspective, but I just know the biggest one is taking those stakeholders, especially the CFO on that research journey with you and talking to them more. So instead of like feeling you've got to present everything to them in an Excel spreadsheet, have those conversations, get them involved with your agency so they can so they understand and also understand what's included in that cost and where the value is, is really important. Can't expect people to agree to things they don't understand. Don't know what they don't know. Yeah, that's exactly right. So a lot of this stuff and, and a lot of the conversations I have with new clients is giving them a base level of understanding around what they're seeking to achieve so that they can make informed decisions because that's what it's all about. It's about making informed decisions because it's not about a decision that you're going to back something for a month because these are longer-term commitments. And I guess that's the, the thing to take away from this conversation is it's not about planning for tomorrow. It's about planning for 6, 12, 18, 24 months down the track because personally I'm not in business for tomorrow. I'm in business for the long term. 100%. And if you take a longer-term, larger-world approach to what you do, then you are not risk restricting yourself to potential. You're not restricting yourselves in what you might hit revenue-wise or size of business or whatever. But the idea is take a longer-term approach and get the information so that you know, be educated about what you're committing to because you can't make a blind commitment. That's just not, you know, you you might've been able to make a blind commitment last year, but you're sure as hell not going to be able to make it this year. So be educated about what you're doing, take a longer-term approach and have a really business conversation, like a really solid business conversation with your agency as opposed, or your freelancer, which would be <laughs> funny, but have a really solid business conversation because there needs your to- high-level marketing consultants, yes. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly right. But like the reality is, is that it's about the business conversation because you're there, like in most of these businesses that we deal with, and there's a few non-for-profits and there's a few who, who aren't, but very few, it's about dollars in the bank mm. and you need to respect that. And so therefore you need to have a business conversation about how you're going to get there. Well, thanks so much, Brendan. It's always a little confronting looking at numbers and matching it through to revenue goals. But I think once you have a path forward, you can just get on with it. Focus on what's important, which is essentially growing a business. Yep. So if you need any help with planning, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can call one 777 jump on the website, review what our services are, what we can help you with, or just call us to chat to Brendan. My number's on the website. Yeah, so is. if you actually have just got a random question, just call us. I'm, like, yeah. I'm happy just to... 
give you the advice straight over the phone. Yeah. I mean, just having a chat to us is a great way to learn how to control your marketing budget costs. And by doing that, you can provide your customers with consistency. So until next time, see ya.